0: Thanks so much for having me. This is great. It's not my first time in Oxford. I came to visit a friend who was doing a PhD right in um, satire in 19th-century Japanese comics. The lengths people will go to not to get a job are absolutely remarkable. So yeah, it's not my first time. I've been in this Harry Potter town before. Um, and it's great to be back. Harry Potter reference in a sermon, that's a bit. Apologies for that. I won't, I won't do that again. Um, I'm going to read from Hebrews, right? But I'm actually reading the message version. I'd really encourage you guys to also take a look at whatever translation you usually read from. It's, the message is amazing, but it's an interpretation. It's not a direct translation. But for me, we're going to look a little bit about access into church and, and making church feel more accessible and welcoming. When I first came to church, hearing God's word in this language made a really big difference for me, because all I had known was that sort of King James vouts and arts, and this, this, for me, really spoke to me. So I'm going to give it a go, but do also um, check out this passage from Hebrews in your normal translation. So Hebrews 10, 22 to 25. So let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let us see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshipping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we say, see the big day approaching. Now, I know that you guys are in a series about Jesus, and I'm, Jesus is a part of this. Jesus is a part of everything but it's not specifically a jesus message i'm speaking about church and community but what i need you to know particularly if you're new in going to church isn't faith a direct and personal relationship with jesus is faith that is the crux of what we want you to be working towards. But I truly believe that if you are rooted in great community and you express your faith and worship in great community and with church family, that faith in Jesus, that understanding of Jesus will only grow and go from strength to strength. So that's what I want to help you guys get a solid foundation in, right? And in order to do that, I've divided this into three sections, like any good preach. Section number one: Why I hate church. Oh, <laughs> spicy today. <laughs> Section number two: Why I hate the world outside of church. Mhm, mhm. Section number three: Why I love church. All right. So we're going on a journey together. Okay, strap in. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start by telling you why I hate church. So I was raised a Christian. My mum, really faithful, prayed for me every day of her life, took me to church when I was younger, and I hated it. It was not the right space for me. I felt super uncomfortable, right? This isn't the... I've got loads of jokes, that one, actually. <laughs> that wasn't... But no, there's more. Stick around for the singleness one. I've got so many singleness jokes. This is <laughs> um. When I was in church, I always felt on the outside. I always felt unwelcome. I never felt good enough, particularly when I started to get into my teenage years. Right? I felt like there was a set of rules that I didn't adhere to, a set of standards I was not good enough for, and I felt judged for it, basically. Um, Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. I think that's pretty much... I can safely say where I sat with it. I, I, can't, I, I got the God thing. You know, like kids just get the God thing. And I got it. And I was like, yes, I'm in. I like this. I, I like the idea of this. But why is everyone here so mean to me? It just, it just didn't feel like home. I saw pastors leave their wives for members of the congregation. I saw youth leaders run off. With young people the moment they turned 16. I saw people belittle each other, judge each other. I saw Christian men be violent towards their wives because they weren't being obedient. I was bullied, I was beaten up. When I bumped into some of the kids from my um, Sunday school at the bus stop, they searched my pockets, to see if there's anything worth stealing. My sister had to scrape me off the floor pull me up and tell people to leave me alone because it just wasn't a safe environment, right? I grew up in South London. It's very different now. It's very gentrified these days, but I'm talking about back when, you know, there was far more poverty than there is now. It was a very difficult area. We didn't put a Christmas wreath on our door unless you wanted it to get nicked, you didn't put little stones around the plants in your front garden unless you wanted your windows smashed. You know, these days it's all home county. Home county, sorry. <laughs> That's you guys. Um, Coming into London. (laughs) And Australians, and it's friendly, and you don't, you know, and it's different. But actually, that was also, they were just kids, right? And actually, those kids now have grown up, and God has done such a work. And and we have, those people are incredible, and I still see them every now and again in my area, right? But it was the leadership as well. And not the top leadership, but the mid-level leadership who just didn't, Protect. I remember my Sunday school teacher saying, right, I'm gonna pray. And I was maybe 14 by this point. So I was drinking, smoking, like chatting to boys. She's like, I'm gonna pray for you. But if I do, God's gonna tell me every single one of your secrets. So raise your hand if you don't want prayer. Yes. Nope, no, thank you. I'm fine. This it just didn't feel safe, right? So then my mum told me, okay, you're old enough now, you can stay home. I'd like it if you kept coming to church. And I was like, say less. I will be home from now on on Sundays. Thank you. And I stopped going. Um, There were times when I would try to connect again, right? So um, I'd say things got pretty sticky from when I left church, and I'll tell you a bit about that. Um, But I was maybe 19, and I knew that I wasn't living in the best way, and I knew that I could do better and I knew that there was this God thing. And I, I kind of thought like, okay, maybe, maybe I can go for this again. So I wouldn't have walked into a church. By this point, I was past that. I was like that mate who goes all set on fire if I go in there. Like I was that person, right? But I walked into a Christian bookshop, accessible, easy access, on the high street, right? Go in and I say, can I get a book on sin? And the woman behind the counter is like, a bit young, bit young for a book on sin, 19, she not got a clue. So she took me to the kids section and gave me a picture book, picture on one side, words on the other, who is Jesus? It was all really theologically sound. Um, so I bought it, British, polite, thank you very much, $7.99, whatever. But I also bought a book on sin and as I turned to walk out she said, um, you know, Christians don't dress like that. And I just thought, this is, what, this is what I'm not, like, I'm never going to be good enough for you people. Like, I can come, I can reach out, I can literally say to this woman, I'm not good enough, I'm broken, I need a book on sin. And as I leave, she can shame me for my strappy top that maybe showed a bit of my midriff. And I just thought, like, forget you all, but I used a different F word. <laughs> and I was not... I was like, I'm not. I don't. I don't want a part of this. This is not a welcoming place. When I looked at the church, it was just a huge wall, and everyone in there told me I wasn't strong enough to climb it. But do you know what had its walls wide open, massive gate flinging through. Come in. The water's fine. Was the world right? They were like, Hey, you don't have to stop doing any of that stuff. You do you, boo. You live your best life. You come just as you are. So I threw myself into everything the world had to offer. And the world had some pretty decent short-term solutions to my problems. I had social anxiety, right, which meant that I really struggled when I walked into any kind of social situation. I, I really, I was so desperate to be liked, so desperate to be popular, so conscious that I was constantly falling short, really just wanted to be accepted. So I just felt or every time I was around people, like, am I going to do this wrong? Am I going to say this wrong? I'd analyse everything I'd done and said as soon as I got home, and then I discovered alcohol, and I thought, hey, this is a solution to not enjoying socialising. It doesn't take away the social anxiety, but my goodness, I'm not thinking about it anymore. You know, I go into a really destructive relationship, and I was drinking quite heavily at the time. Mike, okay, Mike wise yeah, okay, cool. You just could go, if I'm not, and then, cool. No one will know the signal, but it's just you and me. Um, so, I um, got into a mutually destructive relationship. We were drinking heavily. It was codependent. It was really gnarly. I completely thought that that was my life. I was excited to be his wife, have his kids, move to Morden and have a, kid, have a dog, and it, that, was, that was the dream. That was what I was working towards. There's still no God in my life. I prayed occasionally, but it, it just wasn't for me. Um, we broke up when I was 22. He dropped me back at my mum's house a week after my birthday, and I was just broken. And I um, had no idea who I was. I had no idea of my identity. I hadn't felt welcome in any room. I hadn't felt community. I hadn't felt, a wel- I hadn't felt like I was a part of. Then I attached myself to somebody else and allowed myself to be moulded by him into what he wanted. And then when I wasn't good enough, I was broken up with and I was back at my mum's house and I was still drinking heavily and then someone offered me cocaine. And that started what turned into the most desperate few years of my life because I had no reason not to. Had no reason not to say yes. And there's a funny thing, like, and I know a lot of and and, and particularly, you know, the smarter people are, the more they logic, rationalise this stuff, right? I've got a neuroscience degree. I had it before I even became an addict. It doesn't help. But basically, people think that you have a choice, right? And you can hear these addict stories and you'll be like, grow up and just step away from it. And I definitely thought that. I thought depression was weakness. You know, cheer up, what's your problem? Stop wallowing in it. And I thought addiction was just like poor self-discipline. If you've got a problem, just stop doing it. It's perfect sense, right? What I think that we struggle to realize is that your ability to choose is gone so quickly. By the time you realize it's important to make the right decision when it comes to drugs and alcohol, some people are just not able to. And you are fortunate if you have not found yourself in that position. And hopefully you've not tried the drugs in the first place, so you've never had to test that, but you know, I'm sure people will have. But alcohol, most people, majority will have tried alcohol. It really is a lottery. It really is a lottery. It depends on where you're at in your life. It depends on your upbringing. It depends on the community you found. It depends on the platform that is built around you and how protected you feel as to whether you latch onto these things and I latched on tight. I held on tight. And I'm not even sorry that I started taking drugs because you know what, I was drinking like an alcoholic but it's so easy to deny that. It's, in this culture, there's always someone who drinks more than you. You know, like, oh yeah, I drink a bit, but John? <laughs> John's blooming on it. If there's a John here, it's, this is not, a di- it's not an intervention. <laughs> There definitely is a John in this room, no-one's had a word with me. Um, but you know, it's so easy to be like, every night he's drinking, I'm fine. You know, but you can, it's confirmation bias, you can find what you need, right? And I would have always found what I needed. But you can't deny you've got a problem when you're taking drugs three, four times a week. And that's what I was doing, and it just got worse and worse. And it stopped being fabulous very quickly. You know, I was doing it to be popular, I was doing it to be liked, I was doing it to be a party girl. And what started off as like bars and clubs and fun and cool people slowly descended into the seedy underbelly of London nightlife. If that, sometimes it was just me at home on my own licking the tables in case I dropped some when I'd run out. It is grimy. It is horrible. And a lot of people hear this story and, oh, look, you know, she brushes her hair now. She talks nicely. I I think it's very hard when you see me. I've had a few friends be like, it's quite fabulous, though, isn't it? It's a bit Lindsay Lohan. There is nothing fabulous about it. It is the most desperate I have ever been. I slowly built a wall around myself until I was trapped, and what felt like freedom just encased me until I couldn't break out of it, and I wish it on no one. It is so miserable to be in a place where you would rather die than keep going as you are, but know that you have no choice. You have no choice, and that is really, really how it feels. So... I was in a complete state. I didn't wash. I didn't change my clothes properly. I was constantly pulled up at work for not showing up on time, not being productive, not doing anything, obviously, because I was a drug addict. Every now and again, I would have a hot shower, and I would like moisturise my skin. And on those days, I was like, okay, you've got yourself together now. You're looking after yourself. That's self-care. You know, This is it. Line in the sand. We're not doing this anymore. You have got your stuff together. This is you. This is good. And that was probably twice a year that I did that. It all felt so easy initially, and then I was trapped, and I was in this fog, and I couldn't even pray for, or wish for, or manifest, or whatever non-Christian, I wasn't Christian at the time, people do to try and find something better for themselves, because I couldn't see past my own hand. I really couldn't. I didn't know what to ask for, because my world was so small that actually... Just that cleaning and moisturising felt like everything, you know? And that's so sad. That's so sad when, when, Jesus, uh, when Jesus died to give us fullness of life, and that was, that was my fullness, you know? So when you hear this story, it's really easy for you to go, cool, that's good for her, that's quite extreme, that's not me. So it's really easy to distance yourself, but I'm gonna ask you to look for the similarities and not the differences, and I would love it if none of you fully relate to that story. I think that's unlikely. Um, There will be a handful. But actually, everyone knows what it's like, everyone knows what it's like to tell themselves they don't wanna do something and then do it anyway. Paul talks about it. Why do I do the things I don't wanna do when the things I do, you know? And that's a direct quote. Um, I should learn it, I speak about it a lot I don't know why I haven't learnt it, that's on me if if you invite me back I'll learn it, I swear Um, but everyone knows what it's like to go, I'm I'm not actually going to have dessert and then just to have a slice of cake, everyone knows what it's like to say two glasses of wine and still order a third, everyone knows what it's like to say, I'm not gonna look at that website and click on that video and then find themselves doing it and hate themselves for it, right? That feeling of giving in when you had a boundary is familiar and hopefully it's not all-consuming for you. Hopefully it's not your whole life. But effectively, we all operate on a scale of idolatry. And down here, this is where you wanna be. This is where Jesus is on the throne and when it comes to money, sex, power, food, pornography, drugs, alcohol, like shopping, anything, gaming, gambling, your phone. This is where it's in its rightful place, which means for some of those things, abstinence, and for some of those things, healthy, moderate use. And then up here, this is where I was, am, I don't consider myself recovered, I'm just abstinent, with drugs and alcohol. I am not in a position to enjoy alcohol with moderation. And that's fine. And I recognize that as my weakness. Okay, But you can plot every other thing, every other one of those things I listed along that line. And we want to keep everything down here. We don't want your relationship with money to be up here. And sometimes it can creep up a little bit, you know, to the point, hopefully not to the point of addiction, but it's really important that we keep these things in check because it is the quickest way for the enemy to debilitate you, and there is a call on your life, there is something amazing that you're supposed to do, and you will be blocked from doing it if you're focusing on something that is taking all of your attention like that. So what did I do? I told my sister, in the prodigal son story, she's the one who stuck around and got no credit for it, right? She still went to church, she loved Jesus, she took me to church, I didn't get it. I was like, they seem nice, but it's not really for me. Um, But, you know, great to be introduced to very friendly people kind of thing. Um, And then she encouraged me to move, and I moved out of London in order to escape that kind of lifestyle and those kind of people. And then about a year later, so I moved to a country where I couldn't speak the language, which is a barrier for finding drugs, but not an absolute one, I would say. English is reasonably universal. So quite quickly... I managed, oh, not quickly, nine months, I held off a bit, but I did find a drug dealer in this country and I started using again. And that's when my friends pulled me to one side and they were like, look, you've made some really positive changes, um, but we can see that you're going down a really dangerous path and we want you, we want you to thrive, we want you to do really well. Um, so we want you to go to a support group meeting. And I was like, "It's a bit pushy. Uh, but I did go, kind of to get them off my back. And also I thought it'd be really good people watching because I'd seen a lot of t- like TV shows where people go like, Hi, my name's Lauren, I'm an alcoholic. I just wanted to see what it was like. So I walked in there, ready for the sort of voyeurism, and I just cried. I just cried the whole time. And I sat with a few women who were around my age, and they were just sober, they were like three months sober, and they talked about their lives and their journeys, and people said things out loud that I had never heard anyone else say. And it was like, it was, it was like a, to, I, at the time, I would have said magic trick, it was a miracle. It was a miracle that things that I felt so isolated in, so alone in, before even being prompted, someone was saying it to me. And the girl sitting next to me, they took me for lunch, the girl sitting next to me turned to me and she goes, do you know, I moisturize every day now. And I was like, to so many people that would mean nothing. To loads of addicts that means nothing. They're like, yeah, okay, <laughs> um, But to me, that was everything. That was the one thing I was clinging on to. That was the one thing, that was my marker that I was okay that day. And the idea that I could have that every day, every day. That was mind-blowing to me. I couldn't think of anything worth more than that, than actually feeling good about myself in the morning, having moisturised. That was it. That was that moment. I called my sister and I said, like, look, I've been to a drug support meeting. They want me to stop drinking. She was like, do it. She did not skip a beat. There were no shades of grey. She didn't give me an inch so I could take a mile. She said, I think that would be the best thing you've ever done in your life. And I did. And that was on the 22nd of April, 2014. And I'm now nine and a half years clean and sober. Thank you. So I agreed to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, which anyone who has any kind of contact with recovery will be familiar with a 90 and 90. Basically, you've got loads of time to drink and take drugs, so you've got loads of time to invest in your recovery, and that's what they'll tell you, even though it sounds like quite a lot. And then the third meeting, somebody gave a talk about their higher power, and I was like, hello saw so this, then, their higher power. So, in these meetings, they, it's not religion specific, but they do they do encourage you to recognise something greater than yourself. And for some people, that's like nature, or another sort of structured religion that we're familiar with. and And I just remember him saying to me, "You've got to work out what your higher power is. It's not you, and that's all you need to know." And I was like, "Okay." So I Googled church. That's what you do. And I just went to the first church that came up on Google. So SEO is definitely worth investing in for anyone on your marketing team. Turned up. They did some sort of preach. And at the end, I went up when they asked for prayer. And I just said, I'm five days clean and sober from a drug and alcohol addiction. Can someone help me? And they were like, yeah, we can. We actually can. And they sat down and they prayed with me and they invited me to a women's Bible study. And I turned up there on the Tuesday and it was this American preacher's wife. And she was like, she wasn't there on the Sunday. It was her husband doing the preach. She came straight over to me when I came through the door. She was like, Lauren, I just love you. And she gave me a hug and I was like, she's touching me. She says she loves me. This is what Louis Theroux warned me about. So I sat down, had my cup of tea, and the first thing she did was she was like, I just, want, I just want to take this moment to, she's actually from Minnesota, and I know I'm doing Valley Girl. I actually, I only have one American. Apologies, Sarah. Um, this is the only one I have. She was like, I, um, I just want everyone to tell me the best thing that they know about Christians. Like, just tell me something you've seen in Christians that you're like, oh, that is so great. And people went round and they were like, oh, yeah, they're just really generous. And oh, yeah, they're so kind. And I could feel it. I could feel this fire burning inside me. And I was like, I swear too much to be here, really. This this is a mistake. And then she got round to me and I said nothing. Absolute, I've never seen anything in Christians that I like. I am here in spite of Christians. And I, I, don't, I don't have anything to share. And I told her some of the stuff that I listed off early doors in this talk. And I looked up and she was in tears. And she said to me, I know that wasn't me. But you need to know I'm sorry. I am so sorry that you've been treated like that that you haven't been shown God's love and protection, and I am begging you, give us a chance. Let us show you what church could have been. Let us show you what Jesus' love looks like when it's done properly, and we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. Just give us time. We're here, and we want you to be here too. And something lifted off me, and I needed it, and I didn't know I needed it, but I needed it. So I carried on going to church, and they were really patient with me. They were not judgmental. They gave me grace. They took their time. I smoked that whole time. I, baptized. I got baptized a year and a half later, still puffing away on cigarettes. Did they challenge me on it? No, they didn't. Because they had the spiritual wisdom and discernment to know that that was not what I needed to work on right then. And yeah, we want everyone to be as healthy and full, full life. And yeah, smoking's probably not the path towards that. But just because it's something you can see, just because it's something you can smell, doesn't mean it's what God is working on now, you know? And actually, I had so many other things. I had so many other things, and they just let me be me. They didn't put the walls up. They, they had that gate open, and they didn't tell me, put down your cigarettes and your lighter, put down your swearing, put down your whatever else, and then you can come in. They were like, all of it, bring it all, bring it all. Come on, come on, take a seat. You're here, and we love you. We love you exactly as you are. And I'd never, ever experienced it before. And it changed my life. So now I love church. Third part, which I'm going to wrap up because I'm a bit... um, Which is a shame because it's the best part. Um, I love church. I love it. And I, I don't come in with that whole, like, I'm Christian perfect. I mean, you've seen me. So, And actually, that's when I find church, church works best, It's when you're just you, and if you smoke, you smoke. Actually, I've got a friend who does recovery programs, and she was standing outside a church, really big church that Stephen knows well, won't name it. And... Um, <laughs> And she was smoking and someone was like, oh, you know, Christians don't smoke. And she told me later, she was thinking, oh, well, I won't tell her about the crack pipe at home then because she was still a drug addict. Still, none of that's good and I know that, but... We need to have the discernment to know when it's our job to challenge people. And nine times out of 10, it's not. If you're not invited into that accountability, that woman didn't know she took crack, but other people in the church did. They were the ones to challenge her. The ones who she'd invited into accountability, who knew her intimately, who were praying for her, who were listening to what God wanted to work on for her next. And that's what I needed. And that's what I got. And I've been baptised and I've found community and support and the most incredible deep Loving friendships, and I now see that churches support the homeless. They run recovery courses. The Church of Church of England, I think, or maybe just Church full stop, um, in the UK runs eighty percent of all debt recovery, and they do it for free. That's phenomenal, you know. Like we do good stuff. We do such good stuff. Um, I'm not going to talk about recovery. But I have done a TED talk on it. And if you want to know like what steps I took, like practically, I'd really encourage you to check that out if you have an interest in that. It's a whole other talk. Um, But basically, what what I want you guys to do about this, okay? If you're hurt by the church, and we know power corrupts and we keep seeing it, and I wrote this talk before even everything that kicked off this year, right? There has been damage done. There has been real pain inflicted on people in the church. And we need to be praying for our leaders. We need good accountability. We need good support for them. We need to make sure that they are surrounded and protected and that Jesus is central to their lives just as it is to ours, right? But if you are a person who has already incurred that damage, I'm telling you now, I am so sorry. Please, please give us another chance if that's this church or another one. I am telling you that there are churches that have their gates wide open, that don't need you to change, that don't need you to be perfect, where you are welcome and not judged, and they're they're not going anywhere. If people don't stick around for you, they're not going anywhere. And give us a chance. And if maybe you've come to this church and you're like, all I see is walls, I don't think everyone seems to know everyone, come and find me, come and find one of the leaders, let them walk you to a gate because it's open and you're loved and you're wanted and this can be one big, messy, amazing church family and there's no need for you to ever feel alone. Um, if you're searching for something, right? If you've got like crystals charging on your, on your windowsill or you, you want to know a bit of the future with tarot cards or, or, or you're just looking for something to fill that hole, I promise you we've got the answer and it's not them. We really have like you'll keep, you'll be looking forever if you're looking in those places, short, take the shortcut, take the shortcut, and let, let us show you what fullness of life looks like in church community, and through Jesus Christ, because it is here, and he died because he loves you, he loves you, and this is your home, um, if you feel maybe you haven't always been very welcoming, maybe you are the person who tells people Christians don't smoke. May, you know, that's cool. There's no, you know, God doesn't, God's, God's not here to, like, smack you down. It's, this is just your opportunity to do it a little bit better, you know, to feel convicted that you could be a little softer, a little bit kinder. And finally, and I cannot talk about addiction. I'm so sorry, I don't even know when I started. But um, I cannot talk about addiction without telling you that if you relate to a part of, of my story, if any elements of that. And that could just be like your phone use is out of control and you know God's been speaking to you about it. That's not minor. These things aren't minor. God is speaking to you for a reason and it's important that you, that you listen to that and that you take advice and that you put some accountability in place. Um, and, and I think actually it's really good to do that before you get to a point where you're at the top of that scale of idolatry and addiction because it's really hard to come back from. But if you are at the top of that scale, there is a way back. You have never gone too far. You're never too old, you're never too young, you're never too broken, you never hurt too many people, you've never taken too many drugs, had too much, spent too much money on gambling, drunk too, I promise you, there is a path that is paved with life. And it is life beyond your wildest dreams. But you've got to ask for help. We're not built to do this on our own. It is too big. I'm here, I, I promise you, I have all the time in the world for addicts. Drop me a message. I will make time for you. I will let you know where your local recovery groups are. I will tell you exactly what I did. I, 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 pr- I promised Jesus I will do everything I can not to leave a man behind, and I just don't want anyone to feel how I felt. There is a way back. You can have it. There are people rooting for you, and we can introduce you to them, both in this church and in other organizations. And that's me done. So I think we're going to do communion and then there'll be an opportunity for some prayer after that. Yeah? Thanks, guys.